all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason, you. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Good morning. Welcome. You're listening to Southern Remedy for Women. I'm Karen Brown. I'm here with Dr. Allie Brown. She's a surgical pathologist and a she's always here, but you're the host today. I'm always here. I'm spooky like that. Leave. I'm not always here. She won't leave. Dr. <laughs> Owens is out today. I know she'd like to be here, but she had to go on a business trip. So we have enough guests to make up for her absence today. No, now, no such next, thing. Next Thursday is World Alzheimer's Day. And um, that's September 21st. There are an estimated 5.5 million Americans living with Alzheimer's. There, one in 10 people age 65 or older has Alzheimer's. That is a staggering statistic. One in 10 people over the age of 65 has Alzheimer's. So we're all touched by Alzheimer's in some way. We either know someone or we know a caregiver, um, something. It affects all of us. And we have several guests today. We have one we're still expecting. But first, let me introduce to you uh, Cindy Wittig. She is the Director of Community Outreach for the uh, Alzheimer's Association of Mississippi. And then we also have Ralph Reed. He is the chair of the Walk to End Alzheimer's, which is coming up. But the reason we're going to talk to him today, in addition to that, is that he has a story to tell about his father and his mother. And I think that maybe... We'll start with that story because it seems like a good launching pad for the conversation we're going to have. Let me just give the phone numbers out. If you have a comment or a question as you're listening to our conversation today, give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four, Or if you prefer, send an email to women at mpbonline.org. All right, Ralph, tell us your personal story, if you would. It was about um, it was about 11 years old, and my dad was having a lot of problems with his memory, with um, um, just a lot of things. He, he was certainly nothing of himself, and um, it had been going on for about a year or so, and um, finally my mom called me in, and explained to me that uh, my dad had a disease called Alzheimer's. Well, this was about 1973, and we didn't know very much about Alzheimer's. We really had never even heard the, the, the name before. And we just, we really didn't know that much, didn't know what it meant, short-term, long-term, anything else. And at the time, my, my dad was, um, he was 55 years old. So it was, uh, it was very tough not not knowing what the, the disease was. There wasn't a lot of research. There was no internet where we could look things up, where we could Google it. And uh, it, was, uh, it was a really tough time, especially on my mom, because I was an only child, and um, she, um, she had to bear the burden as caregiver, uh, wife, mom, all of that at the same time. Let me interrupt for a second. What did, what did the medical community know? 
Well, <clears throat> remember I was 11 at the time, so I'm not <laughs> sure how much uh, how much was known at the time. Um, you know, my 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 mom explained to me that they had done some tests. Uh, one which was I thought real interesting. They just uh, they had my dad take. Uh, a bowl of rocks that were in water and ask him to wash each rock and put it into a separate bowl. And the, the test was to see how long he could go before he forgot what he was doing. And uh, unfortunately, it didn't take very long for him to forget. But that, that was one of the tests back then that they did to, uh, to test the, the cognitive ability and the, the ability to remember what, what you were doing. So, um, there, there, you know, I, I can't really speak to that because I was so young at the time. But uh, there weren't a whole lot of tests uh, at the time that, that could really tell that that's what it was. But the, it, certainly he had all the symptoms with the loss of memory, uh, frustration. Um, you know, getting getting lost in the house, uh, wandering around. Just, he had all of the classic symptoms, but certainly at a very young age in his uh, in his early fifties. You know, you wanted to talk about your mom and how tough it was for her to be a caregiver. I'm interested to know for you as an 11 year old, and your dad was starting to exhibit all of these um, symptoms. Did it reach a point where he didn't know who you were? Absolutely. Um, you know, the the last, well, I would say probably within a year after uh, after my mom explained to me, and they had known for a little while um, about the diagnosis, but it was probably within a year that he would have lapses in memory where he, he wouldn't know me. He wouldn't know my mom. Um, and those at first were uh, kind of far apart, but they got closer together, and it got to the point that there were more times that he didn't know us than times that he did. So that um, that, that made it really, really tough on him and, and on us, of course. Yeah, it's really a vicious disease. And, you know, just to talk about your organization, it, there is a lot, uh, there are a lot of resources. I was looking around on your website yesterday and today, and really a lot of amazing things because a lot of the things on there are for the caregivers and kind of how can the caregivers interact with patients and what are the appropriate things to do with their loved ones and maybe not to do. And maybe sometimes what we think is kind of the, uh, the first thing that comes in our mind just how to interact with people you get frustrated and things like that it might not be the right one right so uh so yeah i i so how long did your dad live with alzheimer's um he was i believe he was diagnosed in about 1972 and died in 1978 Okay. And was young. Yeah, very young. Mm -hmm. And how about his parents? Had they had any uh, history? Uh, no, no history. Uh, no history past him that uh, that we know of. Um, although there certainly is a, a family connection there, uh, there there was no no history of the disease past him. Yeah, and I guess we can bring it to Cindy. Mm -hmm. So it, it not necessarily family history, but with the earlier onset Alzheimer's, which this would certainly uh, uh, be a case of that. Right. There Does tends to be a, a Ralph, are you at risk of developing uh, Alzheimer's? Yeah. You know, that's a good question. Um, I think there there is certainly a family connection, and there are um, tests for the amyloid plaques that are 
that are uh, present in the brain of a um, of an Alzheimer's uh, patient, Alzheimer's victim, and uh, those tests are coming around. And um, yeah, I, I plan to take them uh, at some point in the future. The thing that, that puts things into perspective for me is I'm 55. Mm-hmm. When my dad was my age, um, there were a lot of times that he did not know us. So, um, you know, I, I, I've made it this far <laughs> without, uh, certainly without any symptoms of the disease, certainly nothing like what he had anyway. Cindy, let's talk about some of the basics in Alzheimer's, mm-hmm. like, like uh, that would be early onset, what his dad had. Right. What is the normal age? If someone's going to develop Alzheimer's, at what age is it most prevalent or after what age? Well, it's most prevalent when 65 and older is what we... Um, have known for years just the older population anything under 65 is considered early onset does Um, it happen more in men than women or vice versa more in women we live longer for one thing um but it is more is more prevalent in women yeah age is the number one risk factor so increasing age increases your Mm -hmm. risk just the fact that that you're getting older which is a good thing to be getting older but (laughs) unfortunately you people get sicker when they get older. I know the answer to this because I've asked professionals a number of times during interviews, but I didn't know the answer to this to begin with. How does someone or why does someone actually die from having Alzheimer's? They, uh, well, I am not a doctor, but from my, and I was a caregiver to my grandmother. So um, coming from the caregiver side, I can tell you what we went through. It's the complications from they forget how to eat. They forget how to swallow. So, you know, keeping them hydrated, Um, just the limitations in mobility and all of those types of things. Um, Don't their organs begin to Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, it's People, so that's one of the common myths that you can't die from Alzheimer's. Uh, pretty much everyone dies mm-hmm. from Alzheimer's that, that gets it. Now, they, it's not the actual disease itself. It is like a secondary right. thing. If you are bedridden, you have a higher chance of getting pneumonia mm-hmm. or getting uh pressure sores that can get infected mm-hmm. and, you know, not having proper nutrition. I mean, everything kind of comes together. So while Alzheimer's itself is not the thing that is the cause of death, it is the, um, the kind of the, the, the method that it happens because of what the patient's lifestyle becomes. We need to take our first break of the hour. If you'd like to call, again, Alzheimer's touches so many of us. So if you'd like to care, uh, share a story, ask a question about uh, caregiving or someone you know, do they have Alzheimer's? You know, how do you tell? that sort of thing, feel free to call us at 1-877-MPB-RING, 1-877-672-7464. You can also send an email to women at mpbonline.org, and we'll be back in just a minute to talk more about Alzheimer's disease. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. 
Welcome back to Southern Remedy for Women. I'm Karen Brown here with Dr. Allie Brown. Dr. Owens is out this week. We have three guests from the Alzheimer's Association of Mississippi. Uh, We've been talking with Ralph Reed. He is the chair for the Walk to End Alzheimer's, but he was telling us a personal story about his dad who had early onset Alzheimer's and his mom who became the caregiver. We'll talk to him more about that. We also have Cindy Wittig. She is the director of community outreach. And Rachel Corcoran has just joined us. She's the director of development. So we have plenty to talk about today, and we have a caller waiting. So let's go straight to the phones. Rachel's calling in from Oxford. Hi, Rachel. Hi, how are you? Good. Do you have a question or a comment? I do. I have a question. I appreciate you guys being on the air. Um, I have a family member who is 65 and is Uh, and is showing many symptoms of what I would consider Alzheimer's as far as memory loss. Um, But the rest of the family is saying, oh, it's just old age. So my question is, at what point does it become diagnosable Alzheimer's? And then at what point is it just normal memory loss that we have with age? Good question. um, Good question. That is a really great question, Rachel, because one of the top myths about memory loss is that it's just a natural part of aging. And it, it is not. I mean, I don't know, if Cindy, if you want to speak to this or if you want me to talk about it, uh, What are when does it become uh, worrisome? When should family members be worried? Yeah, there's several things to look for. And I guess the first thing that we always think is, I can't remember where I put my car keys or things like that (laughs) yeah and and that's you know that's just forgetfulness that's that's what I think everybody does but as we said a while ago if you forget what the car keys are for or like my grandmother she forgot where she put her drinking glasses um that she put in the same cabinet for for 50 years um another thing with some of the signs there's really if there's behavior issues the um, aggressiveness the um, things like that that are just different than is it because there's frustration on the part of the person i believe that has got to be part of it yes and some of the memory loss signs that are are seen uh, that should be more concerning to you first of all i want to say that it is never a bad idea to bring your loved one to see their physician if you have concerns i mean the the you know, best case scenario is they say, no, don't worry about it. You know, so, I, you know, you can't go wrong with that. But right. it's it's memory loss that disrupts daily life. And I'm getting this directly from these folks' organization. They, they have really great resources on their website, which we'll give out in a bit. So forgetting recently learned information, forgetting important dates or events, asking the same for the same information over and over, relying on memory aids like reminder notes, um, uh, you know, or family members needing to do things for them that they used to be able to handle easily on their own. Do, does right. that sound familiar with what you're it dealing does. with? It does, actually. So. <laughs> so I appreciate it. So you need to convince your other family members to pay attention, it sounds like. <laughs> yes. So yes. Uh, I, I think it would be a good idea for you to go to ALZ.org. That's the Alzheimer Association's website. And what I was really impressed with as I was looking at it, they have worksheets and things for you to bring to a doctor's visit. If you're going, either you're concerned for yourself or for a loved one, there's actually a handout that you fill out before you go on preparing for your doctor's visit. So just go poke around on that website. Amazing resources. There are videos and everything. But there specifically is a worksheet that you can bring when you're approaching your doctor with these concerns. 
Rachel, thank you so much for your call, and, and we wish you the best. That's You're relative thank the best. Thank you. I appreciate it. All right, Ralph, we want to go back to you because you had not shared your full story and about your mom who became a caregiver, and we often hear how that's that's a really tough position, maybe even tougher than being the patient in this circumstance. Yeah, I think it really is because uh, the caregiver knows what's going on all the time. The Alzheimer's patient oftentimes does not. And that makes it a lot more difficult, um, and especially with my mom. I mean, my uh, my parents were very close. They had a very good uh, relationship. Of course, nothing perfect. There's no perfect marriage out there. But they did have a very good relationship, and it was so difficult on my mom because she worked full-time. Um, I was in school. Uh, it was very difficult for her to try to care for my dad. He had gotten to the point that he was not able to work anymore. Um, he worked for the post office and showed the kind of memory he had. He um, he sorted mail all day. If you didn't put your zip code on your uh, your envelope when you, you sent a letter, it went to him. And he had the entire city of Jackson memorized street by street, block by block. He knew exactly uh, by looking at a um, looking at the address which mail carrier that uh, a letter should go to. So when he started having problems uh, with being able to do his work, he knew that he had a problem. Um, for my mom, it, it was so difficult because it, it came to a point she had to make the decision of how to, to provide care for my dad, take care of me, and still work. And unfortunately, the, the only choice that, that she really had was for my dad to go into a nursing home, which he, he uh, spent the last four years of his life uh, in a nursing home, the, the last year and a half at the uh, VA nursing home. And uh, that that was it was a very, very tough decision for my mom. And I, I can remember her um, really struggling with uh, what she needed to do. Uh, but you know, after my dad passed away in 1978, um, 10 years later, my mom retired from her job. And uh, she and one of her friends had heard that an Alzheimer's Association, uh, National Alzheimer's Association, had been started a few years before. And they decided that we needed to have a chapter in Mississippi. So um, 10 years after the, the death of my dad in 1988, my mom and one of her friends founded the Alzheimer's Association of Mississippi. And that's where uh, Rachel and um, Cindy work today. But now, Cindy, we, we, we heard a little bit about you, how you were the caregiver for your grandmother. Rachel, is there a personal story that brings you to this organization? Uh, yes, my my grandfather's currently living with Alzheimer's disease, and it's it's tough. It's it's very difficult, and it's uh, hard to see your loved one going through what they're going through, and it's especially difficult for um, the caregiver, uh, my my mima, uh, my mima papare, but my mima just working for the association gave me a bigger appreciation for her as the caregiver, and she's and how difficult older, that is. I would guess she is she she passed away um oh, i'm sorry um, t- thank you two months ago but but yeah she's um 84 she turned 84 and she was um, taking care of mm-hmm. him and, and that's what we find a lot of the times are that the caregivers who are taking care of the mm-hmm. people living with this disease because it's so intense that the caregivers are the ones that end up passing away before the person living with the disease. My grandfather had taken care of my grandmother for years, um, and he had a heart attack 
because I'm you know stress or whatever. But um, that's we hear that all the time that the caregiver um, passes away before the person living. It's certainly, with it. a, it's certainly stressful, mm-hmm. and and I think as as you said, Ralph, that that the person with Alzheimer's. I guess it's a blessing almost oftentimes doesn't really know what's going on, but the caregiver sure does. I want to reintroduce you all again because it's unusual that we have um, this many guests and I don't want our listeners to get too confused. So we just heard from Ralph about his mother and father, Ralph Reed. He's the chair for the Walk to End Alzheimer's. We're going to talk about that event in just a little bit. We have Cindy Wittig, who is the director of community outreach, and it was caring for her grandmother that brought her to this right. organization. And we just heard from Rachel Corcoran, Corcoran who is the director of development. Um, and, and with a sad story. And there are a lot of sad stories associated with Alzheimer's. And that's one of the most heartbreaking things about it is that not only are you, you're losing a person in your life before they die. You're grieving while they're still alive. At least that's how I understand it to be. And that has to be incredibly difficult. And then you grieve when they pass away. So you grieve the loss twice a lot of the times. Mm-hmm. And the first loss is very slow. That's the worst part of it. And your first loss it, is very slow. And you're seeing it oh, right. more and more loss. All right. Let me give the phone number out again if you have a question or a comment. Again, if you're a caregiver, you have particular needs and challenges, and I think this organization can probably be a godsend to you in many ways. So give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four, or send an email to women at mpbonline.org. Let's talk about the caregivers a little bit. What do you recommend? I mean, at what point should the patient be in a nursing home or hospitalized or something because it becomes too much? How do you make that decision? Because, again, you're grieving while you're caring for this person. I think that's it has to be a personal choice. There really is no guidelines or, I mean... I remember when I got my grandmother, I I say I got my grandmother because she lived with me for two years after Papa passed away. But um, I took her to um, to the doctor just to make sure that she would be taken care of when she's with me. And one of the first things they said was, you need to put her in a nursing home. Well, she was still up and walking and wasn't ready. I was not ready. Fortunately, I was able to keep her at home with me. But there are so many times I had a great sitter. If I had not had a sitter, I may have had to consider the option of another um, living situation. But I think it's just got to be a personal. Yeah, I think every patient is different and every patient's situation is different. And it depends on what resources are available, like you're saying. I mean, luckily, you are young and able to do these things. It's very difficult to care for an adult. I mean, you're caring for them kind of like a child, but you think this is a child that weighs 180 pounds, mm-hmm. maybe. I mean, you, you just don't realize how physically strenuous it is, first of all, mentally and emotionally. And some people just don't have loved ones with that capacity either. And then a lot of people just don't have have the money or resources because I mean it's expensive sitters are expensive uh, they might not you know the people should would have Medicare but it doesn't co- cover everything you know, if they're over age 65 and I think that you know we should mention that there are great 
places where these patients can be taken care of in an inpatient setting. And I think we all think, oh, sending grandma to the home is a negative thing. Don't send me to the, the home. You know, people always say that. I say, I say that currently to my little boys. But the home is not, you know, so bad anymore. There are lots of wonderful places with wonderful people who are trained and might even be safer for the patient and better off for the patient because this is what they do all day, every day, you know, lessen the risk of falls and things like that. And there are specialized Mm -hmm. um, centers now, the dementia units and things that we did not have at one time. Yeah. So there's a, I guess that's, I was searching for a positive note because I'm getting really sad here. But the positive note is that we have made progress, particularly in how we care for these patients and how we support them, how we support Mm -hmm. their loved ones. When my dad was sick, um, there there really was only one choice uh, past Uh, a caregiver in the home that was skilled nursing, and that was it. Now we have assisted living facilities. Uh, Many of the assisted living facilities now also have a memory care unit that is designed specifically for patients with Alzheimer's or patients with dementia. Uh, You know, they're, they're those uh, sections of assisted living facilities are better secured. Um, you know, there's locks for people to get in and out. Uh, you know, my dad wandered around a lot. Uh, that is a, a typical symptom of the disease. And to have a facility where they can't get out and, and wander off, uh, you know, a, a memory care facility, that that's huge. Now, we just, we didn't have that uh, yeah, 40 absolutely. years ago when yeah, my dad some, was sick. We have some calls. We're going to go ahead and take some calls. Beverly calling in from Mobile. Hi, Beverly. Hi there, how are you? Doing great. Do you have a question or a comment? I wanted to just share. I have a younger sister. Um, she's about 14 years younger than I am, who uh, had several mini strokes after having been the caregiver for my mother, who was diagnosed with uh, uh, Alzheimer's. Mother passed away about five years ago. Sonia had several mini strokes and then started to have some problems. And her, she was diagnosed with what was called vascular dementia. And it is a, it, a lot of it tends to look like what we saw with my mother, the forgetting that I've, I've eaten, walk away, and kind of get a little bit confused about getting back. She worked in computers, uh, computer security all her life. And this was a person I could call on the telephone and say, I can't make the software work. She'd say, tell me what you're doing. And before you know it, she'd straighten it out for me. And I was back to doing what I needed to do where suddenly even a telephone ringing, she watches it ring, and she won't answer it. And then as soon as it stops ringing, then she something engages where she is ready to, to pick it up. Does she but have someone her, taking care of her, Beverly? She had, Yes, yeah, she, she lives with her daughter, and uh, I am uh, often, you know, bringing her down and spending, having her spend uh, a month or two months with my husband and I. So, uh, but she is... Um, you know, if she spends too much time by herself at home, sometimes, you know, you can tell it's a little bit different. Her daughter does work. And then we have lots of her, all of her friends will take turns kind of going over and getting her and going out to lunch and things like that. Yeah, and absolutely isolate. It's good you're doing that because isolation, you know, these patients tend to get quite isolated. You know, they just kind of fall out of society. And that's actually a negative thing for them to keep them engaged as as much as as you can, you know, within reason is really a good thing for these patients. 
Well, Beverly, thank you so much for sharing that. We really appreciate it. Yeah, so so what Beverly's talking about, her sister has um, vascular dementia. So lots of the different forms of dementia uh, look quite similar, depending, you know, it's almost like a diagnosis of exclusion, really, Alzheimer's. There are multiple different types of dementia that can have very similar clinical presentations. So what, what she was talking about is very similar to heart health. It's the same thing. So anytime you get vascular disease, whether it's your coronary arteries that could make you have a heart attack or the arteries in your brain which could give you a stroke arteries in your legs that can give you gangrene so if you have heart disease or any sort of vascular disease it's probably in all of your vessels so you know her sister she was saying had multiple smaller strokes and that has left her in a similar state so as it, it is the many strokes that cause the dementia absolutely having it's called multi-infarct dementia or, or vascular dementia lots of small Infarcts, or that's areas where the, the blood vessel gets blocked and everything past that, that area that was supplied by the blood that was supposed to come through that vessel dies because of the lack of oxygen that gets there from the blood. We need to take our second break. Holly, hang on the phone. We're going to take your phone call as soon as we get back. If you want to call us, the number is 877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or send an email to women at mpbonline.org. We'll be back to take your calls and hear more from our guests on Southern Remedy for Women here on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. We're back on Southern Remedy for Women. We're talking about Alzheimer's today. I'm here. I'm Karen Brown here with Dr. Ali Brown. Ali, not Ollie. <laughs> Ali Baba. Dr. Ali Brown. And we also, we have three guests today uh, from the Alzheimer's Association of Mississippi. We have Cindy Wittig, who is the Director of Community Outreach. We have Ralph Reed, who is the Chair for the Walk to End Alzheimer's. And we have Rachel Corcoran, who is the Director of Development. So when you hear all these voices, that's who they are. That's who they belong to. We're having a lot of phone calls come in, so let's get right to the phones. Holly calling in from Gulfport. Hi, Holly. Hi, thank you for taking my call. Absolutely. I do private duty for a patient who has Alzheimer's, and she had the conversation with her daughter uh, long before she ever was incapacitated. And um, she did say that she did not want to be in a nursing home. The problem is, of course, uh, as she has lived um, many years, the resources and the caregiver are beginning to wear out. And I wish when they have the conversation about what they want, that they would be realistic as far as your caregiver. I mean, it's it's, uh, not good when the caregiver is starting to burn out. Yeah, that's a that's a great point, you know, and I think that the 
physician or the practitioner, whoever, that's taking care of these patients early on when they are still quite lucid and can have these discussions. Uh, hopefully the uh, trained professional, someone who has experience in these different types of dementia, uh, pull in the whole family and really have a full circle conversation because it's a, a lot. As you mentioned, and as we've been mentioning, about a more, a lot more than just the patient. And one thing that uh, we encourage families to do is to contact an elder law attorney to discuss future planning, uh, financial situations that may come up, so they can plan. Um, so that's what we we do encourage people to do. That yeah, and too. I notice on your website there is an entire video about financial and elder planning. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, that for folks out there that are listening, it, it really lots of lots of resources, and you guys have really thought about everything. Holly, you bring up a great point. Yeah, thanks, Holly. Thank you so much You're for your welcome. phone call. Um, we. Ha- Pardon me. We had a comment, and this question was sort of answered, but I want to ask beyond this. Uh, a caller asked the difference between Alzheimer's and dementia, which we talked about. It's like dementia is the big umbrella, and Alzheimer's falls underneath it. But how many different types of dementia are there, or or is it sort of an endless category? I want to answer that one. <laughs> I would say it's probably an endless category. There may be six, seven more specific forms of dementia but then there's so many other little but alzheimer's is the predominant it is yes okay back to the phones we go homer's calling in from lions hi homer hey how you doing where is lions where is Uh, lions it's like south haven to memphis i mean you drive out of clarksdale mississippi and you go into Line. It's okay. like on 61 Highway. All right. Thank you for the geography lesson, Homer. <laughs> yeah. okay. Well, I, I wanted to kind of... But anyway, my, I was calling about something you mentioned uh, a minute ago, to about your extremities, like your legs and uh, blood not flowing to them. Um, yeah, when you have vascular and, disease, it's because of the atherosclerotic plaques, the plaques that grow inside of the blood vessels and narrow the opening of the blood vessel. Right. Uh, but what I, my, my question was, um, is there anything that we do on a day-to-day or maybe not do in our living that could possibly uh cause this not to set in as fast or doing something that contribute to it because I know when I sit down a lot of times it's just uh, I don't know if it's a habit my dad used to cross his legs a lot of times I cross my legs if I sit I try not to sit too long and when I get up sometimes I can feel my legs but I exercise every day to try to keep the blood flowing oh that's good so yeah, usually when you cross your legs, you'd be more likely to be um, pushing pressure on your on, a, on veins. You know, arteries are the walls are thicker and stay open more easily. Uh, the best way to keep your blood vessels healthy, like your arteries and all that, are number one, what you're doing, exercising. Number two, uh-huh. watching your diet eating a low-fat right, diet, low-carbohydrate diet, taking preventative uh, cholesterol-lowering medication if you have high cholesterol, so going to the doctor and making sure you get your cholesterol checked. So it's the same thing like with heart disease for those vascular diseases, and that's whether the vessels are in your legs, in your heart, in your brain, etc. all the same things. Best of luck to you, Homer, and thank you so much for your phone call. When someone, let me get the phone number out before I ask, one eight seven seven mpb ring 
You can call us at one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four, or send an email to women at mpbonline.org. Cindy, you mentioned a while ago how uh, someone with Alzheimer's begins to become aggressive. Is that born of frustration that the patient knows what's happening to them? And do they get sad? Do they get angry? You know, how we hear about lucid moments. Uh, yes to all of that. <laughs> um, I I know with my grandmother, um, she was very frustrated because she knew something was wrong. And she used to say, I used to try to forget. Cindy, don't ever try to forget because then when you want to remember, you can't. But I think it's, um, I think it has a lot to do with the frustration. Also, the, just the lesions, you know, these uh, amyloid plaques that I think that you had mentioned, Ralph, those, those are the lesions that are causing these uh, neurons and nerves in your brain to get tangled and not transmit signals correctly, which is, you know, in a very simplified way that's causing these It's deficits. actually changing your behavior then? Right. So if these, if these lesions, so I'm sure a lot of it is frustration, but if these lesions are in like the frontal lobes, which control personality and inhibition and things like that, that can also, so it's almost like a double whammy. So you're impaired as far as like, because sometimes I might feel frustrated at work, right? But I don't go and like push my neighbor, hopefully, sometimes if she's really bad, I'll push her. But like, you know, you have your frontal lobe that's telling you, chill out, you know, don't act, don't act like a fool. But you have this frustration now and people who have this organic lesion in their brain. So kind of that builds on top of each so other. So not only are you losing the person you love slowly, you're also dealing with someone who has a new personality, possibly. Yeah, that, they change a lot, I would say. I mean, you guys can speak to this better than I. And I think ultimately you're dealing with somebody that has completely lost their personality. Uh, I know that that's the way it was with my dad. He he got to the point that um, he was not able to communicate. Yeah. Um, just you know, regress almost to like a baby. Uh, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Kind of when yeah. a person has their lucid moments, do they know where they are? What's happening? Do they know that they have Alzheimer's? Do they understand that concept in a lucid moment? Am I asking two tough questions? <laughs> everyone's everyone's different. They yeah. certainly can. Uh, I just think about social media. There, I don't know if you guys, if there's like a Facebook post of a woman and either her mother or her grandmother, and they're lying in the bed together, and she has a lucid moment, and she knows who she is. I mean, it's like gives me chills to think about it. I've, it's been watched millions of times. You know, it, My grandmother did that. that. Yeah. Um, she had gone to the doctor for right after I got her and came back home a couple of days later. She actually was sitting on the swing and started calling me by name and having a conversation. It was about 30 minutes, and then she had... She was gone, you know, bittersweet. gone. Yeah. Bittersweet. Yeah. Yeah, it was the same way with my dad, and uh, especially in the, the last couple of years of his life. The, those moments where he was lucid, where he knew that he was sick, they didn't last very long. I mean, and, and usually, uh, quite honestly, usually he would start to cry, and then as soon as it came on, it turned off just like a switch. So it it never lasted very long in, in the later years. He but would he, cry because he knew what I, I was think going so. On. Oh, that's I think that's so. heartbreaking. Yeah. All right, going back to the phones. Marianne calling in from Jackson. Go ahead, Marianne. Hi, yes. I have friends uh, in the 70s, and the the wife has in the sort of middle of the latter stage of Alzheimer's. And the husband has talked to me several times about trying to find a support group, Alzheimer's support group, that may include... Um, 
men in it, either caring for spouses or partners. Include um, who? Could you say, uh, repeat that again, include who? Uh, well, there's just with some men. He's, he's oh, men. He's a one, and it's mostly women, which he says, of course, is fine, but he's, try, he's trying to find some other husbands or partners to sort of share. Yeah, like some peers. That makes sense. All right, Cindy, that's right up your alley. What do you have? He has called called the Alzheimer's Association in Jackson, and probably someone's having a bad day, but he hasn't received return phone calls. Uh Uh-oh. And he's frustrated because he really needs the support. Well, you you called on the right day today. We got the boss (laughs) here. The boss is here. We do have support groups in in the Jackson area, if that's where he's at. The support groups that we have all over the state are not geared towards men or geared towards women. It's just women are predominantly the caregivers. Uh, There is, um, I'm thinking of one person that I could reach out to that is, he was a uh, caregiver. So he um, is trying to get some group of men together. So if your friend would call Cindy at the office, and um, I will certainly talk can, to him and, and give him Can we maybe get her information offline as well? Yeah. Can you go ahead and give the number out, Cindy? Sure. Uh, 601-738-0111. And that's my cell number, and people call all the time. But if he will just call me, then I'll, um, okay. if I'm not in a meeting, I will call him Did back. Did you get that number, Marianne? I did. 738-0111. Yes, ma'am. Okay, I'll good. Ask, I'll tell him and ask him to call Cindy. Thank you so we'll take, much. Thank yeah, you. She'll take care thank of you. you. Thanks Marianne. for calling. I appreciate it. Back to the phones we go. Sheila calling in from I-55. I hope anywhere you, on hands the Hands free, I hope. You got his hands free, <laughs> Sheila. Yes, yes. All right, all right, all right. Uh, I drive a lot uh, for my work, and I listen to NPR almost exclusively in NPR. Oh, thank you. And a while back, it had to have been a year or so, maybe longer. They ran a little podcast about a couple. They were comedians, and they were in a big city, and her mother developed Alzheimer's, so they had to move home to a very small city, and the wife went to work, the daughter went to work, back to work as a school teacher, and the husband, the son-in-law, uh, took care of her, and the mother-in-law, and he treated every day like a... Uh, improv comedy scene. You know, <laughs> he said there were monkeys running around outside. He'd say, uh, it's not even monkey season. <laughs> you know, and, engage, and, and engage a conversation with her. And it was it was just joyous. I was in tears. Um, it I may have helped him more than her, in fact. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it was just a really joyous thing. And then I would also like to say, I would love for y'all to explore a new technology called exogenous Ketones um, and fat in the brain and the and Alzheimer's. Uh, there's a lot of research now showing that the brain actually needs fat. The brain is made predominantly of fat, actually. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. And so. So when someone calls you a fathead, <laughs> that's what I was thinking. <laughs> Real fatty. Lots of lipids. Like that as a compliment. Single lipids. Yeah. All right, Dr. Brown, get on that. Get on that. <laughs> yeah. Sheila, thank you so much for your phone call. It was a great story, too. Monkey season. <laughs> While we have a moment, um, Ralph, tell us about the walk that's coming up and how people can get involved. October 7th is the Central Mississippi Walk to End Alzheimer's. 
this is um, this is our main fundraiser that we have each year. Uh, you can go online. I'm going to let Rachel uh, tell a little bit more about going online to register. But you can go online and register and participate. Uh, if you raise $100, you get a T-shirt, an Alzheimer's T-shirt. Um, a lot of work goes into this. Um, it, it is, I mean, there's three things that Alzheimer's Association does. It raises funds for, uh, for education, for support, and for research. And this is part of, uh, th- this is the biggest thing that we do to, to raise the money. And I'm going to let Rachel tell you about, she, she's my go-to person with right. the association. Rachel, before you tell us, we have to take our last break of the hour. Okay. No problem. <laughs> but we're, you're going to give us the information as soon as we come back. If you want to give us a call, now's the time because we're going to run, run out of time before you know it. The number is one eight seven seven mpb ring one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. You can still send an email to women at mpbonline.org and we'll be back to finish our conversation about Alzheimer's here on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back to our final segment of Southern Remedy for Women. I'm not even going to, and we have three guests from the Alzheimer's Association of Mississippi. I'm not going to say their names again because we don't have that much time left and we have a lot of information we want to share. So first of all, Rachel, you can give us more information about how you can get involved with the walk. Yes, we can. Um, you can go online um, and register for the Central Mississippi Walk to End Alzheimer's. It's, um, as Ralph mentioned, October 7th at the Capitol. Um, you can go to alz.org slash ms mississippi and it'll take you right to where you can sign up um and we have six, seven uh walks across the state actually are they on the same day no we had two already <laughs> oh. we had two already we had um pine belt walk and it was on usm's campus we had that on august 26th and then we recently had Starkville, the golden triangle walk both were a great success a lot of people and it's really encouraging to see so many people out there on walk day together. So October 7th is the one in Jackson. It's the one in Jackson. And And folks can go online to that Mississippi Mm -hmm. site to see if there's a walk near them. Exactly. Perfect. Mm -hmm. All right. Um, let me get the phone number out one more time because we get a few more calls. It's 877-672-7464, 1-877-672-7464. Cindy, I know you wanted to share some information about people in Mississippi with Alzheimer's. Right. Um, we had mentioned that there's over 5 million Americans living with the disease. In Mississippi, our population is about 3 million, and we actually have 53 people um, 53,000 uh, Mississippians living with the disease, and those are the ones that we know of. Those are not the ones that are afraid to go to the doctor um, to get the diagnosis. So um, that's pretty significant because of those, the majority of those are the, the women caring for their loved one and then the other family and business and everything else that we do day to day. 
you know, we're talking about the various kinds of, else, of, of dementia. dementia. Yeah. How is Alzheimer's different than vascular dementia? Well, as I mentioned, it's kind of a diagnosis of exclusion. So a vascular dementia, patients would have a history of stroke-like symptoms, maybe, and the imaging would show if they had like an MRI of the brain, you could actually see the infarct. So you're actually eliminating other types? That's correct. So it's almost a diagnosis of exclusion. Okay. Or it is a diagnosis of exclusion, all right. I mean, sometimes elderly patients present and they have some sort of a vitamin deficiency or a nutritional deficiency. And when that's corrected, their s- symptoms of dementia get better. And so then you can ascribe their symptoms to that. You know, so it, it's it kind of goes along. You know, people who suffer from alcoholism often have vitamin deficiencies and can look kind of like an Alzheimer's patient. And, and when those things get sorted out, they get better. They improve. Can, uh, again, I want to talk about the um, caregivers because it's such a tough job. Is Does it have to... No, let me phrase this right. Can you have a babysitter, I know that's the wrong word, to come relieve you? And does that person have to have nursing experience or can you have a friend come in? You know what I mean? Because everybody needs a break, particularly if you're in that situation as a caregiver. I welcome friends to come and sit with me um any the caregivers of the people living with alzheimer's they sometimes get left out because people don't know what to say when they come into the home and their loved ones they are not able to carry conversation in the home anybody please help your your friends and family if you know someone's living and taking care of someone please help them even if it's just come by for 15 20 minutes or if that person needs to go to the grocery store don't ask them or don't tell them i'm going to come by and let you go say what do you need i'm going to the grocery store i'm going to pick up some things for you and take it to them Yes, like I said, just help help them any way you can. It is much appreciated. And there are sitters services, many of them, you know, all over, and it probably not just in Jackson. Yeah, there are sitter services, and then there are actually respite places Mm -hmm. where you can actually take someone to an assisted living center or several and um, have a break for a couple days a week. We are out of time. Give us the website one more time because there's so much information there for people. At www.alz.org slash ms. Thank you so much to Rachel Corcoran, Director of Development, uh, Cindy Wittig, who is the Director of Community Outreach, pardon me, and Ralph... Pardon me, Ralph Reed, who is the chair for this walk to end Alzheimer's. Oh, my goodness. We're so close, Karen. Come on. Keep it <laughs> For Women is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio. It is funded in part by a grant from the University of Mississippi Medical Center and by generous support from the MPB Foundation. Thank you so much for listening today. Stay tuned because NPR's Here and Now is next on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.